Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At Mana Food for Thought is our Instagram handle. At Mana F4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's Coffee with a Mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, they ship nationwide. Their beans are locally roasted in small batches. They make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA, M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. When I first started in ministry, I got hired as a middle school youth minister. And me and all of the other Christian pastors in our community, we teamed up and went to the one middle school in our town and we started a Christian club called The Breakfast Club. We brought breakfast every Wednesday morning and got to proclaim a message uh, to the teens there. And so I remember getting to know some of these teens and one of these young middle school girls one week was very excited and I remember sitting down next to her and her friends and asking, well, what's got you all riled up? Why are you so excited? And she said, oh my gosh, I am so in love. I met the love of my life and now we're boyfriend and girlfriend and I'm just so happy. And I said, well, that's really awesome. I'm really happy for you. But I had remembered that she wasn't saying this the previous week. So this is obviously very new. And I said, well, how long has this been happening? She said, oh, we've been dating for a day. And I just, I would die if he left me. I would die for him. Like, I just love him so much. And I was like, I was taken aback at that point. I was like, this is intense for middle school relationship. But I was curious as to who this boy was and if I knew him or if he was someone in my program that I had to talk to. And... Uh, I asked her what his name was, and she said, oh, his name's Ryan. And I said, well, Ryan what? And she looked at me very confused and, and then said, you know what? I don't know his last name. I should ask him that. And I said, yeah, that'd probably be a good idea if you're going to, like, die for him and everything. <laughs> and, you know, young love, right? But, but in a sense, it's a real love. I mean, obviously, that was a very shallow, immature, and not yet developed form of it. But when we really love someone, we would lay down our life for them. And who embodied that and showed us that more than Jesus himself on the cross? We talked about in the last episode the fact that he became man, and we know that he did that. And the fundamental moment of him raising, rising from the dead. But that moment is connected to what we call the Paschal Mystery. The series of moments of Jesus' suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension. This mystery of why he really came to die for our sins. And the fact that he then rose to show us that we will raise 
from our own sins and the death that we are called to sacrificially to turn away from the things of this world, that he will always make us new. That whole event, the Paschal Mystery, is something that can be difficult for us to accept because it requires us recognizing that there is love and beauty and suffering, that we may be called to suffer, and that Jesus suffered on the cross not only for us, but because of us. But he did it out of love. Just like a couple will get married and they will make vows at an altar saying that they will lay down their lives for one another in sickness and in health, even at the expense of the other or because of something the other is doing, they're willing to suffer out of love for that person. That was what Thomas Aquinas defined love as, to will the good of the other. Jesus takes that to its fullest extreme by laying down his life and taking the weight of all of our sins. The sins that had been committed, were being committed, and will ever be committed, all on his shoulders in that moment, to die for you and for me. A gift of love that we did not deserve, and that was really ours to pay, but he chose to come and do it for us. Jesus actually predicted that he would be doing this from the second he started the relationship. In Matthew 16, he starts the church. He says, Peter, you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And so, just like that middle school girl, she starts this relationship, and then immediately after, Jesus, like her, proclaims this willingness to suffer. He says only a few verses later in Matthew 16, 21, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now this was very um, alarming to Peter, especially because he was just told he's gonna to be in charge of this church, like we're, he's the Messiah, like we're going for it. And all of a sudden Jesus is saying, oh, but I'm gonna suffer. It's not gonna be like you thought it was. And so Peter in Matthew 16, 23, protests this and Jesus rebukes him and says, you are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. You see, God knows that love requires suffering. When original sin happened, he gave these punishments to Adam and Eve to teach them that love required suffering. Adam was called to suffer for the work and provide for the family, and that the woman would have pains with childbirth to show her that love and the love of having a family and having children requires suffering, requires even giving up your physical comfort and your body to do so. This is something that we are all called to. Jesus accepted his cross, but he asks all of us, to have that same willingness as his disciples. He says in Luke 9, 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus is saying, look, it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. Like, I'm here, I'm coming here to save you, to redeem you. That is why I came, but it's not going to be easy. And if you want to live out this mission, you have to live out its fruition in the cross. So it doesn't mean we sign up in a self-deprecating way or as gluttons for punishment, and not all of us struggle or suffer in the same ways as each other. But suffering is a part of life. Persecution will be a part of life if we are living the Christian life well, because it's never oriented properly to the world. I mean, look around at our world. Our world is completely designed, especially in American culture, for comfort and convenience. I can order coffee, my groceries, everything that I need. I can do all my Christmas shopping, all of the above, without having to interact with a single human or look another person in the eye. That is the utmost luxury, comfort, and convenience I can imagine. And so we're very used to that. And so when suffering or even just minor inconveniences happen, 
it can seem like all of this is thrown into the air. I mean, right now I'm not recording in my normal space because our house has a leak, a water leak. And right now it's the week of Thanksgiving. As I'm recording this, Thanksgiving is tomorrow. And we not only this year have to have Thanksgiving without our family and friends, but also without our home. And that's hard, but at best, it's an inconvenience. You know, we still have a place to stay. Our, we're still healthy. We still have what we need. And that's something to praise God for. And so I can take up this cross of the inconvenience and the difficulty of moving two toddlers out and the exhaustion that that was and wondering what's going to happen with our home. I can take up that cross and I can thank God for all that he's given me and I can offer up my suffering for others as he offered up his suffering for each one of us. That is the beauty of what it means to be Catholic because we don't glorify the cross, but we celebrate the act of love that happened upon it and the welcoming of suffering that we enjoy as Catholics every time we enter a church. That we're welcome here and we're meant to be people of joy, but even in our lowest moments, we are welcome and we have a Savior, a God who understands our struggle and our suffering. That he is there with us in it, walking with us with his cross on his back and ours on our back, side by side. Jesus says in the Gospel of John that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. That from suffering, we can actually experience new life. We can actually have joy in the midst of suffering. I don't know about you, but when I look back at my life and I think of what are the five most impactful, life-changing, life-altering moments that have ever happened in my life, I think probably three or four of those five were terrible. Like on paper, they were huge moments of suffering and loss. But yet, they impacted my life in such a way that they brought me to a place where I would not be the same without them. And I can have joy in that. It doesn't mean that I like that that thing happened. But I can see that God brought an even greater good out of it. He didn't want that suffering to happen, but he allowed it to benefit me, to bless me. He says in John chapter 15, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus did that for us. And in moments where we come even a sliver of being close to that type of suffering, he will still change it into something good. I struggled to tell you the truth for a long time with this idea that God sent Jesus to die on the cross. I thought it was an abusive thing. That how could an all-loving God and Father send their own child to be tortured, ridiculed, and mocked when he had the power to take it away? And I was misunderstanding two things. First of all, that sin is a human problem. So if God snapped his fingers, he'd have to continue snapping his fingers for all eternity because he'd either snap his fingers once and take away our free will and we'd be these loveless robots that just followed him with no choice, or he'd have to do it over and over and over again because we will perpetually sin because we need free will to freely choose to love. But secondly, and the big thing that I misunderstood was that Jesus didn't get sent, but he and God the Father are two persons of the same God. And so Jesus came to die for our sins. He freely chose to redeem us in this way. He accepted that reality on the cross. He didn't fight it. Even though he had the power to work miracles, to bring down the wrath of God the Father, he did not fight it. He chose to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. This uh, sacrifice in the church is something that's called atonement. And that act of atonement of Jesus on the cross, it's what makes us one again with God. 
one of the first reasons for the incarnation we talked about in the last episode, to save us from our sins and reconcile us with God. Now, this points back to a celebration in the Jewish year called Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. It's on or about the first day of fall, and on that day, the high priest would enter the temple and he would go into the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary, where in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant and the literal presence of God lived. And so it was separated by this massive veil that was, I think, like 10 feet wide and 50 feet or 15 feet high and uh, three to six inches thick, this huge veil, curtain that no one could enter except the high priest once a year to offer this sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. He would utter the forbidden name of God and he would make the sacrifice. But it was so sensitive in terms of their worthiness that if a high priest went in and was unworthy, that they would fall down dead in the presence of God. And so high priests would tie bells around them and this rope around them. So if they went in and the bells went off because they had fallen down dead, the other people could wheel their body out with the rope because of this intense reverence and presence of God that was in there, this power of God that they were trying to ask mercy from to atone for their sins. But they would make the sacrifice uh, and they would hope that their sins were forgiven. They do this every year. But when Jesus comes to die on the cross, it's a once and for all sacrifice. But in it, he institutes, in a sense, a kind of new Yom Kippur, a new day of atonement, or a new Passover. And that new Passover is the Mass. That Jesus came, if you look at the Passover in the Old Testament, in Exodus, um, they need to find an unblemished male lamb, one years old, with, um, and they need to slaughter in the evening twilight, and it will be roasted and eaten with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And if they did that and spread the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, then they would be saved from sin and their firstborn sons would be saved. What happens when Jesus dies? The ultimate firstborn son, the Lamb of God without sin, without blemish, offers himself, his blood spread on the post of the cross as our savior, as our atonement for sin, saving us all from death. In fact, in the Hebrew calendar, you were supposed to choose the lamb on the 10th day of the month of Nisan and then slaughter it on the 14th day. We now celebrate that 10th day as Palm Sunday, when Jesus was chosen to be arrested and killed by the Pharisees. And the 14th day, when that actually happened, we celebrate that now as Good Friday. That Jesus intentionally came to do this. He was playing the long game. This was part of his plan all along. Jesus was not sent by an abusive God to make expiation for our sins as some kind of sacrifice to appease him and his thirst for justice and blood. No, this was a gift of reconciliation that God came to do on our behalf, to atone, to reconcile us, to save us, to give us freedom. Why does this matter? Well, it matters because we no longer have to be separated from God. That we have that connection with him in the new Passover meal at the Mass. And it also reminds us that Jesus didn't die for our sins, but he died because of our sins. That we remember every time we go to Mass this once and for all sacrifice because we are still responsible for it. And we are still being reconciled to God every single day and every single time and opportunity we go to Mass. So when we speak of these events, the death, suffering, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, what's called the Paschal Mystery, we consider it one inseparable event. The moment to end all moments, the most crucial and fundamental moment in our history as Christians. That death was conquered. 
that we no longer have to worry about spiritual death, our souls can go to eternal life, but even now physical death, that we will have a resurrection from the body at the end of time, just as Jesus proved in himself, in his own physical bodily resurrection. If Jesus had not risen, our faith would mean nothing. And he had to have died to have risen. And if we believe that those things are true, and they really happened, and that we really have been set free, it should change everything. It should change our worship. When people look at us in mass, they should say, wow, that person is worshiping like their life has been utterly saved, or their life depends upon it. Do we do that? I don't know if I do. Even things as simple as making the sign of the cross, that recognize like you are making the sign and shape of the instrument of your salvation. You have been saved from your sins by a God who loves you so much, he would rather die than spend eternity without you. Let us never forget that fundamental moment in each and every moment of our days, from this day until our final day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.